Welcome to another episode, Gonzaga Nation, SI on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Today's guest, someone who knows the Gonzaga program about as well as anybody that doesn't live in Spokane. He has been a rival coach. He has been an assistant coach, and he's been connected to the program in many ways. Former assistant coach, Ray Jacoletti, one of my good friends. Coach, how's life? Well, life, Dan, is uh, is good. I've been retired now for two months. And so uh, I feel a little bit of uh, some anxiety. Um, you know, everybody just kind of thinks that uh, you retire. And, 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 and again, we're trying to figure it out. But we, my wife and I, we leave in two weeks. And we're going to, uh, we bought a place in Florida for the winter. And uh, so we're, there's a little bit of uh, like going away to college for the first time, excited, but, you know, not really sure what to expect. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of roll with it as we go. So you've been connected with a college program for quite some time. I know you and I first uh, connected when you were recruiting me when you were at University of Washington. What you mentioned the anxiety, but what exactly are the feelings not like helping freshmen get into a routine for the first time on campus? What's it like talking to the old, not talking to the upperclassmen about setting an example as leaders uh, and kind of doing your own thing? It's a little bit different. Um, you know, SLU here, St. Louis University started classes last Tuesday and I usually, I, I'm still lifting three days a week in the mornings down at SLU. They've been kind enough to allow me to do that before we go to Florida. And so I saw all the new students moving in and, and those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, a little bit different. You know, I, I did it 34 years, uh, 14 as a head coach, 20 as an assistant. And, um, I kind of feel like watching my parents, uh, however many years ago was, when they kind of were making that transition. So, um, you know, those are the things I will miss. The things I won't miss is dealing with this transfer portal and NIL and all the other things that are uh, seem to be ruining the, the game of college basketball now today. Well, we'll talk about some of your favorite experiences and, and maybe the, the good memories in a bit, but you know, the NIL and the transfer portal, you started to touch on it there. You and I've had off the record conversations when you were an assistant coach about some concerns about it. Now that you're out of coaching, um, you know, are those concerns coming to fruition? Are they making things more challenging for coaches? Are they tainting the game? What are you seeing? Uh, this spring, we saw things that never seen in 34 years. Uh, and I got no problem talking about it now. Uh, we had low-level agents calling our office or their parents and basically wanting to know uh, what the NIL number was for them. This would be maybe on a Wednesday and we need a number by Friday or they're going to the transfer portal. So you got blackmail, you got any thing you want to call it, um, people that shouldn't be involved in the sport are involved in the sport, uh, trying to find ways to make money. Um, and it's got nothing to do with what's best for the individual. It's all about each agent, hanger honor, parent, trying to make money immediately. But it's our society today. That's exactly what 
it's not about working hard and having a goal and a plan. It's it's everybody wants to get paid today immediately. You know, I've I've thought for a number of years that college athletes should get paid. In looking back to my time, I wish I could have been paid, but obviously those weren't the rules then. And I felt that there should be a staggered system. Freshmen make certain amount, sophomore, all the way up to seniors. If you have a team accomplishment, like you win your league or the conference title, you advance in the NCAA tournament, each player gets a bonus, no different than a coach. Uh, there can be, you know, individual player bonuses, but they should be tied to all league voted on by coaches, not like points per game. What, what would your thought be on a system like that to pay players where you could kind of regulate it almost like a salary cap? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different and really good ideas how you could make it work. It's just basically the wild west right now. You can do whatever you want. You know, you can say whatever you want, um, money, who to get involved. There's, there's zero rules. The NCAA has no control um, and they know they have no control. I'll give you an example. This last week, I saw three different programs, double transfers. You know, they allowed a couple of years ago, you can have one transfer and then you have to sit. That, that's gone out the window. They, they've allowed all those transfers. They have no juice. And so there are no rules right now. It's just do whatever you feel best. Coaches can go out and find money for the players. Um, it's... We need a set of parameters and a set of rules that everybody's going to abide by um, to make it work. And right now, they think they're going to go back and fix it. You're not going to fix it. It's it's our it's too far gone. They're on a short rope. Uh, why why do these you know colleges and universities need the NCAA? Still there, coach? Yeah, I lost you there for a second, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Christian, our editor, can kind of fix that uh, little stretch where we lost you for a second. You know, you're a coach that's had an experience at what I would say many different levels. You know, people are kind of enamored with this word Power Five conference right now. You were at Washington as an assistant. You were a head coach at Utah, who's in a Pac-12 now. At the time, I don't know if it was the whack of the Mountain West, but it's that level. Gonzaga breaks the mold. They're an elite program, even though they're not in one of those. The Atlantic 10, where you've been most recently uh, with St. Louis, is a really good conference, but it's underknown across the country. What's the biggest difference that you see in people's perception of levels? Because I think too many times people get misconstrued by levels uh, in not knowing how good a program is or how well supported a program is. Levels is where can you be successful and where can you help a team be successful? Before we even get into academics, but you know, academics got nothing to do with this anymore. People can say all they want, um, but you know, where can you be successful? Uh, you played in the NBA seven, eight years. You, you know, you can come from anywhere in this planet. You can be the smallest speck somewhere on this world, in this world, and they're going to find you. 
I, I firmly believe that. So, so many of these transfers today uh, think the grass is going to be greener and, and, they're, and they're wrong. You need to be able at a place where you have a chance to make your team successful and you can play a part in that. Anything else is just, it doesn't make sense. And, and you can go through a transfer portal and see how many good decisions and how many poor decisions. And I, I bet it's 75% poor decisions were made, 25% good uh, decisions were made. And, and that's probably being on the high side of things. And then how many different people had their hands involved with that? We, we had a little point guard we have uh, at St. Louis this year, led the country and assists, Yuri Collins. And I know for a fact there was college assistant coaches started calling him in January of this year. So, and he's awesome. He knows that he's a St. Louis kid. St. Louis University, maybe their best team in 30 years this year, were old. They got a chance to be, it'll be a top 25 preseason. But he had a, an understanding of what he has here and opportunities to have in the majority of them. Um, they don't have the young man's best interests in mind. Yeah, I, I'm, I've called a number of games at St. Louis over the years. I know you've, you've been a part of that program in a couple different capacities. Um, I, I think when you look at their roster from an outsider's perspective, they do have a chance to have a special year. But right now, a lot of times for that program that's kind of been kind of in the mix but haven't broken through, you need to have a, a – a special run and then guys have to buy in to keep it going. That's one thing Gonzaga has done. They had a special run and then they were able to keep it going. What does St. Louis have to do to keep it going in your eyes? I think that's a hard question. I think they are going to be good this year and they are going to have a special year, but the top probably four to six players, this will be their last year with COVID. They're going to be old. Um, you, you need to have the year first, and just as you said, then build upon that to try to sustain it. And, and, you know, you and I both know when you use Gonzaga as an example, it's a bad example. There's not another place in the country that's done what they've done. And we're talking about 25 years of no slip-ups. Uh, it's So when people, I used to love it when uh, – uh, you know, the AD I was working for, we talk about Gonzaga. It's like, I think Gonzaga was the wrong one to talk about. Let, you know, that's uh, Haley's comment. Let's talk about, you know, nuts and bolts. If you want to talk about Gonzaga, we can talk about, um, you know, how they travel and, uh, the, you know, they never get on a commercial flight and all the other things that have helped sustain that program over 25 years. But, um, you know, th that's something that, my opinion will never happen again in any other sport. Yeah, I've been asked that question by multiple coaches and even athletic directors during my broadcast prep at shootarounds and, and games and, and such. And you're right with that. But you've had a different seat to see Gonzaga from a from a opponent's recruiting perspective when you were at Washington, probably to an extent when you were at Eastern Washington and Utah. Then you were on the inside as an assistant coach there. 
what what is it because i get to ask this question every time all the time but for you as someone who's seen it from different places as well can you give us what exactly it is about gonzaga in as quick of synopsis as you can because i know it's not easy yeah it's a hard question to answer you know i tried to duplicate it when i left gonzaga Drake. and even though i had known those guys since 93 um and then was a part of it for six years i, I think the biggest thing is mark few his balance demeanor um him being there the entire duration uh that's the very first thing and then what the ability that he's been able to have on each and impact on each one of those teams to believe you can compete at that highest level to win a national championship um you know he, he's that program over 25 years had assistance there for a long period of time you know, uh, Tommy Lloyd just obviously left for Arizona, but was there for a number of years. Uh, Leon Rice, Bill Greer, that I think something else would add to it. The one other thing I'll say is Gonzaga understood that they needed to do something different each year, the administration, the school, to keep pouring into that program. And literally, like the times, the six years I was there, I would remember the Mike Roth, the AD, and, and the president talking about what do we need to do for this coming year. And, and, and that's something I've never seen before at another university. But um, if, if I knew that's the used to be the million dollar question, it's the hundred million dollar question now, <laughs> how they've been able to do it. At, but Mark Few is, the, is number one uh, of just his calm demeanor his belief and how he's able to get each group to believe in that uh, over this, you know, 23, four year run. I, I agree with a lot of that because yeah, his belief of how good a team can be and then getting guys to believe even maybe, you know, and I hate to say a couple down years, but there were a couple years where it looked like that NCAA streak might end. Um, but he got guys to understand, bind the roles, believe that, hey, if we do this, 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 and if you play your role, we're going to be fine in the end. And it's come to fruition nearly every single time. And they're knocking on the doorstep of a final four, or excuse me, and they're knocking on a doorstep of a national title, which I think will happen at some point. How has he improved as a coach? Because I remember when I was uh, a red shirt and then played for him for two years, we had certain things that they do and and I've seen him grow and improve as a coach. And this is not a knock on him in any way. When I played for him, I think the evolution of him as a coach has been unbelievable. What, what have you seen from that? I think the, the first thing is when you do have success, he sustained who he, he is. He never got bigger than the program. Uh, he's one of the most humble men I've ever been around. Um, that goes with his, he is a husband, father, and his faith. Um, I think that's played a, a big part of it. Um, but the other piece of it was the defensive end of the floor. I, I think he's improved drastically. Uh, you know, I, I know my first year there, maybe the first two years there, you know, there were times we kind of, 
you know, behind closed doors or in the locker room or something, which is he and I, uh, and I'm not saying I had anything to do with it, but would say how much I thought uh, over from that period of time, uh, they've got, they are an elite defensive team here the last 10 years. Would you agree with that? I know you yeah, were- I, I, you, I would I agree. Into the defensive end of the floor yeah. as much as anybody. <laughs> I do agree with that. And I do think you had a lot to do with that. You know, I know uh, Coach Billy- Gray, uh, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> he did, but unfortunately, he will tell me this every time I see him. He couldn't get me to do what he was coaching me to do for whatever reason on that end of the floor. But I think you're right. You, without putting words in your mouth, you had a big part to do with that. Uh, and they've built on, on a lot of the principles that you, you tried to instill. Let me ask you this. With your new, new retirement and you've got time to go out and, and kind of find a hobby. Most coaches don't have time for a hobby. Coach Few fishes when he can. You know, Billy Greer would go play golf. I've talked to different coaches that try when they get a, a moment to do different things. What is the one hobby you're looking forward to kind of diving into now that you've got some free time? Uh, two things. So uh, fishing and, and golf, you, you just hit the two. So uh, when we get down to Florida, we bought a place about three years ago and, and fishing's the first thing. I, I was talking to Mark Few yesterday about it. I just got back from a fishing trip in Wisconsin and I, I, I'll go back a little bit. So a month into retirement, yeah, it was great the first month. And then I was bored. Uh, I would go work out every morning, try to do a chore around the house. And then one o'clock would come and I'm like, now what, what do you do? I mean, we just have been so used to working you know, for the last 34 years. And um, I never, I never played golf. I never had hobbies um, going out in the garage and, and uh, waxing the car used to be my way of getting away from things. But uh, so those are two things my wife and I, she's got us, joining a club down there, I guess. And now if you'd see me swing a golf club, it's not real pretty. So <laughs> I'm gonna need some help there. At least with fishing, um, you know, I kind of grew up with it and, and uh, you know, but saltwater fishing is a whole different, another element. But those two things, I think we'll try to see if we can figure out a little bit and, and uh, have fun with. Back to the coaching side of things and, and you, spending so much time as an assistant and a head coach of having to game plan your team, your opponent, but also I'm sure to a certain extent, thinking about what the opposing coach is going to do. Who's the best tactician that you've ever had to go up against as an opposing coach? Well, that's a really, really good question. Mark Few's gotta be right there. Um, you know, the four years we were at Eastern Washington, we had some great battles with Gonzaga. Uh, so he would be at the top of the list. Uh, I, I think there's, there's guys that um, nobody had ever heard of. Um, and, and I got a mental block right now. Uh, 
the head coach of St. Bonaventure would be one of yes. the other ones. I called a game of theirs a couple of years ago, and the action that they ran was awesome. Mark Schmidt. Yes. Um, somebody else would be uh, the old timer at uh, Utah State. He's going to be pissed off now. I got another mental block. Um, Stu Morrow. Stu Morrow. Stu Morrow. Um, those two guys after Mark, yeah, everybody can say the obvious, but you know, as you well know, when you go and watch a practice and then you do a game, you can kind of see behind the curtain a little bit. And those are two guys that aren't household word names that are high, high level coaches and, uh, and have gotten it done in places that weren't the most easiest places to get done. Unfortunately, I think moving forward, it's going to get harder and harder. Um, you got to have players and you got to be able to keep players over a period of time. Uh, in the way the rules work today, I don't know if you can get it done at a low level or a mid-major. Because as soon as you have somebody that's, that's good enough as a freshman or sophomore, they're gone. They're going to be pilfered from your your campus and um so it's it's really going to make it difficult for um you know everybody talks about well it's for the players for the players but these younger coaches coming up now uh how to develop their coaching skills and how to have uh, sustainability to be able to to go from one a smaller program to a bigger program i don't know if it's going to happen because i just don't think it's it's feasible the way the rules are today that's a good point. And for Gonzaga fans and, and people that follow the WCC, that right there is kind of what Todd Golden is going to have to go through in a nutshell, going from San Francisco uh, to Florida, which I can only imagine his budget is increased exponentially, the pressures uh, and, and all the things that he has to deal with. So, um, you know, I, I think he's a tremendous young coach, but he's going to have some of those things to work through. You just mentioned. You talked a little bit about uh, retirement but you're not fully in retirement because you and I talked a couple months back and, and you're helping some uh, college teams take overseas tours. You know, that's something the NCAA allows every four years, but it seems as though when you, when you look online and, and you follow in social media with different programs, it seems like almost half of college basketball has been overseas somewhere with a foreign tour this year. Tell us a little bit about what a foreign tour entails and why teams do it. And then what your role is with the company that you're working with. Yeah, so I, I'm working with a company called World Strides, and World Strides is the largest provider in educational travel. Uh, 900 people work for World Strides. So many of these companies went under during COVID because they were their little mom and pop shops. World Strides, right before COVID, added a sports uh, division. And so Vanderbilt and St. Louis University went with World Strides just uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, to Spain and Italy. So the, the advantages are you get 10 days of practice before you go. Um, and it's not as big a deal today as it maybe as it once was because you, you're, you got these kids for eight weeks in the summer anyway. Um, but maybe more importantly is you take a trip for 10 days and you get a chance to bond. You get a chance to, you know, like slew last week did everything from they started in madrid well st louis university's sister campus 
is in Madrid, just like Gonzaga's sister campus is in Florence. Uh, they had a chance to see that and were a part of that Spanish culture. Uh, six days in Italy to, to see the Vatican and, uh, you know, Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Colosseum. And, and you get that group together and you, you start to bond maybe a little bit earlier in the year. So it helps maybe kick start your season on a positive, upbeat uh, you know, frame of mind. So I've been on probably five trips in 34 years. Each one was an amazing experience. Uh, something truly that those young men will, will remember the rest of their lives. Um, and, and I think you're right. There was so many teams. I, I had counted almost 50 Division I teams went this summer. The rest of them are going next summer because I'm right in the midst of talking to those people right now uh, to try to get them a part of World Strides uh, to, to take their trip. But, um, yeah, I think for so many different reasons, basketball, educationally, uh, a lot of these young men never been out of their the United States, let alone to places like Spain and Italy. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, there, there's a change in college athletics and basketball. And this is one of those that, uh, you know, the programs that are the quote haves are going to take advantage of to be able to distance themselves even more from the have nots uh, in providing opportunities for players. Coach, last question before I let you leave. You spent time, obviously, as a coach. You did a little bit of time as a broadcaster. Give us your analyst broadcaster outlook on the upcoming basketball season. I know you keep a close pulse on it. You talk to coaches all the time. Who's going to win the Final Four? Well, uh, that's a hard question. I mean, I'm hoping Gonzaga can, you know, they have probably as good a chance as anybody this year to, to win a national championship. And and, uh, and not to put any more pressure on Dewey or, or the team, but uh, I really, you know, there's a, it's a big learning step. So I've never been there. So I guess I would think it's been a great learning opportunity of already going twice to be able to, to have that opportunity this year. But, um, with, to be honest with you, with all the transfers that took place, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I'm pulling for Gonzaga and wish the best for them, but who knows how this, the transfer thing is going to shake out. Um, I don't think really anybody knows how all that's going to work out. You know, what people don't realize sometimes, you and I could be sitting in a locker room as players. You're getting $150,000 NIL. I'm getting 25. Now we got to coexist in a locker room on the floor uh, as, as human beings. Like there's a lot of things that are, are going to uh, have a direct impact on college basketball this year, other than just as it was, or as it has been for the last hundred years of just trying to get people to buy into winning, like winning is the most important thing that's gone by the wayside along the way. So um, it's harder and harder, in my opinion, today to get people to buy into winning and, and how important winning is. And if you win, you distance yourselves in a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, even if you're an NBA prospect, if you win, you get 
your kind of aura or the, the outlook about your game and your prospects enhanced by being from a winning program as opposed to putting up numbers on a bad losing program. Coach, I really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. I know now that you're not going to be preparing scouting reports till 1 a.m. in the morning, which I know you do because you're as detailed as they come. We'll have to make you a regular uh, guest on the podcast because you, you've always got awesome insight. Well, if there's uh, you ever get down to uh, Santa Rosa Beach, it's in between Destin and Panama City. Um, you and your family are always welcome. We always got space, but um, appreciate you. You're one of my favorites, Dan, and it's been fun to watch you grow. As uh, first knew you as a junior in high school, watch you to the man you become today. Great husband, father. Um, so it's it's an honor for me to to be talking to you this Sunday morning. Awesome. Thanks again, Coach.